Hey folks, JC Delatore, creator of Continuum Force here. What follows is not an episode of Continuum Force, but a new Patreon exclusive show that is only available on the transmissions from Atlantis Patreon site. The story follows author Dan Ryan as he's led by the Greek god Hermes on an adventure to find the lost continent of Atlantis and free the gods from their underwater prison. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash TFA entertainment and listen to the rest of the series. TFA Entertainment presents this Patreon exclusive, Ancient Rising by J.C. Delatore. All voices were performed by Joe Bevilacqua. Chapter 1, Arise from the Angry Seas. than I had ever seen in my lifetime. They were thousands of tiny pinholes in the great tapestry that was the night sky. They sparkled, oblivious to the storm that was about to obscure their view of the Atlantic. Around us, great walls of angry water crashed onto the prowl of our vessel. The stench of seaweed and surf attacked my nostrils. The nausea slipped into my throat and threatened to explode in front of me. I was never one for the sea. The lost city of Atlantis lay in our wake. We were speeding away as quickly as the ancient Atlantean vessel we were using could take us. I glanced back at the shimmering city. The iridescent glow of structures lit the night sky like a beacon from a large lighthouse. The city seemed to lunge out from the sea, lightning zigzagged bright flashes of sky above us, and the wind whipped up around us, causing great waves to crash up against the ship's hull. It responded with violent gyrations up and down, left and right, all the while losing its battle with the unforgiving aquatic. This was not going to be an easy getaway. The ship that allowed our escape emitted the same strange iridescence that came from the lost city. A white glow on the deck, the sails, the steering mechanism, everything. In many ways, the ship resembled an old Spanish galleon, but it predated Spanish construction by 100 centuries. Yet the vessel appeared to be as if it had just been finished. There were no signs of decay. If you rubbed your hand against any part of the ship, it would feel similar to the smooth surface of fiberglass. But this was no fiberglass vessel. The intensity of the waves crashing into the framework would snap a fiberglass ship in half. The waves were getting massive and more frightening, crashing over the bow and drenching us. One after another they came, each taller and more ominous than the last. They began to appear like dark blue mountains, toppling toward us at breakneck speed. Their white foam tops a rabid dog chasing its victim. The ship lurched violently, causing me to lose balance. It fell 
and slid along the deck until my feet slammed against the deck rail on the opposite side of where I had been standing. The sea soaked my clothing. My skin turned ice cold. My companions grabbed whatever they could to avoid being twisted into the foaming washing machine that was Atlantis' namesake. I couldn't help but wonder where we would go from here. With the raising of Atlantis, the human race was no longer the dominant species on the Earth. We were servants of the gods once again. The realization of how we reached this point troubled my mind. We had searched so long for the lost origin of our civilization, only to find that with its discovery came dire consequences. And there we were, being tossed around, not knowing whether or not we would live to see the aftermath of what we had unleashed upon the world. Forgive my manners. I haven't even introduced myself. My name is Dan Ryan. Perhaps you know me as the best-selling author of the acclaimed He Returns apocalyptic series of books. Not to exude arrogance, but if you haven't heard of me, you should have. No evangelistic series has ever sold as many books or made as much money as my anthology. <laughs> don't mistake my bravado. I don't presume to include myself among the class of the greats, like Asimov, Bradbury, or Stephen King. I'm no Anne Rice or J.K. Rowling. I know my place, and it's purely apocalyptic fiction. I made my fortune with tales of my hero, Gabriel Randolph, witnessing the rise of the Antichrist and the return of Jesus. I have different motives for this story. In fact, this will be a vastly different experience for me. My previous books were about fictional characters, fictional places, fictional events. This is the first time I am writing about my own experiences people I know, major events in my life, indeed, events that would affect the history of the world. What set me off on this adventure? Tragedy, death, a loss of purpose. I couldn't help but look in the mirror and feel as if I wasn't what was staring back. I was much more than just dark spiky hair bushy eyebrows and, and a three-day-old beard. I was more than my thin frame, my dark eyes, my small but bulbous nose, and my pale skin. I had been in a state of mind where I was just looking to leave this plane of existence. I was alone, and there we were, with death staring back at me, not wanting to take that last walk into the great abyss and at the mercy of the fury of a god that I had released upon us. But before I could contemplate our next move, I had to go back to the root of it all, where it all began. I lost my wife, Annabelle, and daughter, Jeannie, about a year ago. It was a typical Florida summer day, they had spent it frolicking with Mickey, Minnie, and all the other colorful sidekicks from the Mouse House. They wanted me to go as well, but I had to work. 
I was finishing up book number eight of my series and didn't want to lose the groove I was in. For writers, when you hit a groove, you have to keep writing until it all gets out of you. It eats at you. The words. While you watch television or eat dinner or speak with your loved ones, the words gnaw at you like a rabid animal trying to escape a trap by biting its own leg off. I was in one of those grooves. They called me a few times throughout the day to let me know what Jeannie had done, who she had taken pictures with, what they had eaten. It annoyed me to no end. I wanted to sit in my study alone, my computer and I with a silent cocoon of apocalyptic madness enveloping me. My computer was several years old and took quite a few minutes to bring itself to a capacity to where I could actually communicate with the outside world. Once it mercifully allowed me to type, I would get into my, for lack of a better term, zone. Whenever Annie or Jeannie would call, it would break me out of my zone, and I would stare at the keyboard for a number of minutes trying to get back to the place I was before they disturbed me. It made me recall the scene from The Shining, where Jack Nicholson went crazy because his wife kept bothering him with trivial things. Note this, friend, nothing is trivial, nothing. Around seven that night, I received a phone call from Annie that they were on their way back home. Tampa, where we had our home, was about an hour and a half away from Disney World, so I knew not to expect them until after nine. So back I went into my world, no worse for the wear. It was around 10 p.m. when I took a break and looked at the clock. Strange. Annie and Jeannie weren't home yet. I searched for our cordless phone. You couldn't miss the damn thing. It was gray and shaped like a cat. The top of it had these huge spooky cat eyes. The wife always seemed to have it near her haunts. I checked her reading chair, not there. Then the kitchen, nothing. The laundry room, nope. I finally found the monstrosity on her nightstand and quickly dialed her cell. Hi, it's Annie. You've reached 555-6030. Sorry, but I'm away from the phone, which, by the way, is pretty difficult when it's on your damn hip all the time. <laughs> Anywho, leave a message at the beep. Her cheerful, recorded voice recited, Hi, honey, I said to the machine. I was just wondering what's keeping you guys. Uh, give me a call, Kay. I, I was a little concerned. Annie never turned off her phone. In fact, since I had purchased the stupid little things for the both of us, I don't believe I ever had to leave a voicemail for her. I had a chapter to go in my book and tried to get back at it, but I had lost my groove. My mind was now drifting toward the girls. Where could they be? Perhaps a bad accident on I-4 was holding them up. I called her again. Once more, no answer. I decided to turn on the TV. They must have been caught up in traffic. Perhaps they made a stop for dinner somewhere. I flipped the channels, but still couldn't find anything to distract myself with. I called again. No answer. Another hour of mind-numbing, must-see TV passed. Annie 
still wasn't answering her phone. I began to slightly panic. Where the hell could they be? My mind raced for possibilities. Her mother lived in Dade City, which would be a significant detour, but it could have been a spur-of-the-moment decision. I could see Jeannie's crinkled nose when she asked, Mommy, can we go see Granny Ma? No, honey. Grandma's house is too far away, my wife would reply. Please, Mommy. It's been so long since I've seen her. My wife, whose willpower against her daughter's wishes was non-existent, would finally relent and take the detour. My mind accepted this as a strong likelihood. But wouldn't they call to let me know what was going on? Her cell phone must be without charge. That's it. They took the detour and couldn't call me because her cell phone battery died. Damn it, if I hadn't told her a million times to make sure she charged... The cat phone screeched out, startling me. Damn thing. It screeched again. I pressed the talk button on the phone. Annie? Mr. Ryan? Yes? Mr. Daniel Ryan of 1313 Peacock Lane, Tampa, Florida, husband of Annabelle Ryan? Yes? Who is this? Mr. Ryan, this is Trooper John Frost of the Florida Highway Patrol. My heart felt like it exploded in my chest. I could feel my breath go shallow. Mr. Ryan, he continued, there's been an accident involving your wife and daughter. No, God, are they all right? I'm afraid not, sir. I felt, I felt my knees go weak, and I collapsed onto the hardwood floor. My eyes grew wet and salty. Mr. Ryan, are you there? Yes, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I rasped into the receiver. Mr. Ryan, I suggest you get here quickly. We have a cruiser coming to pick you up. You're not taking them to the hospital? They received all the medical care we could administer on site, sir. I'm sorry. They're gone. They're gone. His words echoed through my mind. The tears streamed down my face. They're gone. A deep emptiness entered me. It was like someone had stuck their hand into my body and ripped out my soul. My wife, my Annie, Jeannie, my little baby girl, they're gone. I cried out. I screamed. I wept. My vision clouded as my mind ripped open with anguish. I, I, I couldn't find my breath. Just breathe. The room began to spin from my lack of oxygen. I remained on the floor weeping uncontrollably for another 20 minutes before I heard a knock on our front door. I took a deep breath and pushed myself off the floor, rubbing my eyes with the bottom of my t-shirt. I slowly walked to the door and cracked it open. A gray-faced state trooper stood solemnly. He was a large, portly man who may have had one too many donuts. A long, thick mustache grew above his lips, and deep wrinkles creviced his face. Mr. Ryan, I'm Trooper Russell of the Florida Highway Patrol, he said in a deep, gravelly voice. I've been told uh, you've been notified. Yes, uh, yes I have. The trooper placed his hand gently on my shoulder. Come, sir, I'll take you to them. I nodded 
and he led me to his cruiser. The black and gold Crown Victoria didn't have lights mounted on the top of the vehicle like traditional police cars, but had a small strip of red and blue lights inside the front and back windows. He already had them flashing. He opened one of the back doors for me and I slid into the leather seats. The car had a strange scent that was some combination of leather seats and smoke. Perhaps they had nabbed a smoker on their last bust, and his scent still remained. Trooper Russell hopped into the front seat, reported to his dispatcher that he had secured the husband, and we were on our way. I watched my two-story Victorian-style brick home shrink from sight knowing my wife and daughter would never pass through the front door again. My thoughts drifted back to my girls, my beautiful Annabelle, her fire engine red hair, hypnotic emerald eyes, her cute thin face accented by tiny freckles. Her frame was petite yet curvaceous. When she looked at you, your pulse quickened, your breath picked up, the adrenaline flowed. She was one of those special people you gravitated to. I'm very sorry about your wife and child, Mr. Ryan. Trooper Russell broke the silence. Thank you. I managed to grumble. I knew Mrs. Ryan. Oh? Yes, I, I met her at a charity function for a fallen officer of the Tampa PD. She was so kind. I believe she donated a substantial amount of money to the family. She genuinely cared. I don't see that a lot, if I do say so, sir. Yes, very true, officer. Very true. Annie was like that. Everything tugged at her heartstrings. When a woman lost her husband in the conflict with Iraq, Annie was the first to bring their family food, clothing, and a check to cover their funeral expenses. She'd take in any godforsaken stray animal out there. Dogs, cats, birds. She didn't take them to the pound like most people would. She would heal them, clean them up, and then find good homes for them. Whatever charity case, sob story, or hard luck tale came her way, Annie was always one to try and do something to help. We were both Catholic, and she was devout. Despite my occupation, I wasn't the most dedicated churchgoer. Annie would be my moral center. She'd get me rolled out of bed, into my Sunday best, and off to see Father Cardigan's latest sermon about how we were all going to hell. She placed God in our life in every facet. She believed in heaven. Annie once gave me a little poem. I don't know who wrote it, but it said, It's better to live in God and find out there isn't a God than to live without God and find out there is one. She knew the truth now. I only hope it was the answer she was looking for. Officer? Yes, Mr. Ryan? What happened? I had dreaded the question. I didn't know if I wanted to know why my wife and beloved child were ripped from me. Well, sir... <clears throat> he cleared his throat. We're still investigating the incident. 
Come on, man, no bullshit. Please, tell me what happened. Of course, I I'm sorry, sir. Uh, your wife and daughter were coming west on I-4. They were coming home from Disney. In his rearview mirror, I could see him frown slightly. It seems they were coming around a turn near Plant City, and a vehicle in the eastbound lane suddenly crossed the medium and, and plowed into their car. They never saw the truck coming due to the tree line that blocked the view of the traffic ahead. It was a head-on collision, and it is my understanding they were killed instantly, sir. The EMTs said they likely did not experience any pain. They didn't suffer. Thank you. I mumbled. Do you know why the other car crossed the medium? We're still investigating, sir. But it appears the driver was drunk. Of course. Florida Highway Patrol were pursuing him, and he was attempting to avoid apprehension. It seems the driver had already done some time for DWI. Had we caught him, he would have faced a long prison term. Did he survive? No, sir. He was ejected through the windshield and impaled himself on a nearby tree. I couldn't help but think to myself that the driver had gotten off light. Had I got my hands on him, his fate would have seemed like a prick from a thorn. When we arrived at the scene, the first thing I noticed was my wife's car. Her Chevy Caprice looked like an accordion that was squeezed shut. Debris littered the area. Pieces of my wife's white car were sent a quarter mile down the road. I could see pieces of Jeannie's stuffed Pikachu Pokemon ripped to shreds. Parts of the yellow plush were thrown across the grass. Stuffing protruded from one of the ears with red blood stains mixed into it. The vehicle was not recognizable. The drunk driver's truck, a blue Toyota Tundra double cab, was badly smashed up in the front. I could see the hole in the front windshield where the bastard flew through. According to the paramedics, he lived long enough to say he didn't care who had died. He wasn't going back to the clink. Then he drowned in his own blood. Yeah, the sucker got off real easy. Trooper Frost met us at the site and had me identify the bodies. They had them laid out on the side of the road, covered by a white sheet. The smaller one had a deep, darkish brown stain above where her head would be. I pulled back the sheet. I couldn't even recognize my little girl. Her cute little face with the button nose. Her shoulder-length stringy brown hair. Her tiny little frame, like her mommy's. The sweet little smile. The green eyes that, that could get anything they wanted. It was all gone. Morphed into a tangled, bloody, horrible mess. There was no face. Just blood, bone, and torn flesh. Where her head should have been. She was wearing the pink t-shirt with Belle from Beauty and the Beast on the front that I had bought her the last time we went to Disney. No father should see her child like that. 
I broke down again. <laughs> it took me quite a few minutes to regain control of myself. I returned the sheet above my daughter's head and moved to Annabelle. Her face looked as it did when she was in a deep sleep, although obviously drained of life. I touched her. Her soft skin had hardened. It was almost as if I was touching a doll or a mannequin. It was cold, lifeless. They were gone. This was a Transmissions from Atlantis production. Read the novel Ancient Rising, available in most ebook formats through Smashwords, on Amazon Kindle, Nook, and most other e-readers. Would you like Ancient Rising to become a full cast audio? Let us know. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Ancient Rising and for your Patreon support.